From our headquarters in New York City, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Whitney Robinson, the editor-in-chief of El Decor. Robinson is a young man, but he's already a veteran of the publishing industry, having risen through the ranks at Hearst titles like House Beautiful and Town and Country. On the 27th floor of Hearst Tower, I spoke with Whitney about how designers and developers can partner, how the design industry needs a professional guild, and why he edits the magazine with an audience of 140 in mind. This week's podcast is sponsored by Cherish, interior designer's beloved source for chic, one-of-a-kind furniture, art, and decor. If you're a design pro and not in their trade program, you should be. Starting now, designers earn $75 cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish, plus access to net pricing and specialized live customer service. Sign up at Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. Part fabric, part magic. Krypton exists to make your world smart and beautiful. With earth-friendly spill, odor, and stain protection, fabric intelligence is all they do. You'll find Krypton in over 80 High Point Market showrooms. Join Krypton and brand partners like Airbnb for exclusive market treats, events, and experiences, including the roving Krypton ice cream cart, the SoCal Social at Norwalk, and designer favorites the Krypton Patio, Universal Beauty Lounge, and Pooch Pop-Ups. Reserve your place now at krypton.com slash HPMKT. And now, on with the show. You have been here for about two years now. Over. Yes, right? Over so two years. June of, of 2017, was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So we are in October of... Are we, are we in October? <laughs> what day is it today? <laughs> what day is it today? Yes. Um, yes, we are in October. We're almost 2020. Yeah, it's, it's over two, two years. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like a lot of the changes that you wanted to make have now taken hold in the in the book? And, yeah. Fun, and you know, funnily enough, I, it feels more like 10 years to me because the truth is I've been at Hearst, as everybody knows, for 13. I started yeah. here cumulatively for 13. So I started here in March of 2007. Um, so this, yeah, this marks my 13th, you know, cumulative year that I've been here because I left for a few years in between. Um, I I do and I don't. I mean, I think that this magazine is ever-changing, and I think that mm. I am ever-changing, and I think that the design business is ever-changing. So I think that uh, thinking about it as a kind of ever-evolving continuum is a really healthy way of looking at our at our business in this magazine as opposed to saying, well, everything is done, and therefore, you know, my work is finished. I think right. that, that the day that I say we're done is the day that it's my last day here. Yeah. And I think that... Um, as opposed to that, I think that again, every new issue is a chance to re- for reinvention. So we try to reinvent ourselves. We try to push the magazine and evolve it um, every month. Okay. Well, I, I want to talk more about that. But but as you just alluded to, you, you you've been here for some time, and and I want to take this opportunity to to share with with listeners who who, who might not be as familiar with you as as shame on them as as we in the industry, and yeah. hopefully they are they are following you on on Instagram and and keeping up with your career. But tell us a little bit about becoming Whitney Robinson. Where did where did you grow up? 
Tell me about the, the early days. The last time I heard this question was when Oprah asked Michelle Obama this question at the Hearst Tower. So I feel... <laughs> yes, well, well... The 60 Minutes question. Okay. Already. I feel so lucky. Mm. So I um, I grew up on uh, on the main line of Philadelphia. Um and if anyone sort of follows on Instagram, like you mentioned, I have a my mother has been a very big influence in my life and was a very big Clearly. Um, interiors uh, aficionado and a big magazine buff. And so I grew up with uh, with someone who was really binding, quite, quite literally physically binding uh, issues of town and country at Sui Generis, which used to be on 57th Street. Mm. If you guys remember that great sort of leather goods company across I, from the Four Seasons. I do indeed. Um, and so she was a huge buff of magazines. Uh, and so, you know, I spent my formidable years being that that kid who, when they came in the mailbox or when we went to a newsstand, you know, we, I would pour over them with her, probably while watching Elsa Clench on, on Sundays. I would be shushed watching while she was watching Elsa <laughs> Clench on Sundays, just absorbing, um, you know, this, this sort of beautiful life. You know, as I say, we, we lived in, a, in, a, in an apartment, uh, my mom purchased something that we, we probably was was more than we could afford at the time and then she spent the next 10 years decorating it like the French um, she used to say but she based the space on a, on a kind of a Dior atelier and it was all 50 shades of grayish <laughs> um, but I grew up with an appreciation of that from a young age I was attuned to to, to beautiful spaces and interiors, and um, and was lucky enough to see a lot of them myself. Um, as a as a teenager, I went to boarding school in Connecticut, in Salisbury, in Connecticut. Salisbury, Connecticut. Indeed. I, being at Salisbury was so interesting. Is uh, the architecture was incredible. I you know I loved that sort of neoclassical, you know Connecticut. Um, boarding school architecture and and so I, I really I loved being up there I loved being in the Berkshires and I think a lot of also my appreciation for architecture comes from being able to go to classes and live in those buildings I mean I lived there's we had that main this building called Maine at Salisbury mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I lived up in the in the in the attic of Maine for my sophomore year and it was just such a, a blessing to be able to have that at a young age so you had a great experience there you, you... being on 684 acres of, of gorgeous wilderness up in Northwest Connecticut corner of Connecticut is, is, is a great thing for any, any kid. Yeah. And this is also sort of pre-internet a little bit. I mean, I, don't, oh, I like to date myself depending on where I am, but I am officially 36 years old. I'll be 37 next month. And I really I, appreciate your disclosing that. I like it. it. Sometimes you. it makes me feel really young. Sometimes it makes me feel really old, <laughs> uh, depending on who I'm talking to. But, uh, you know, it was pre-internet. So I think yeah. there was still a little bit, a little, little left of that, uh, of that era before, you know, being on all the time. And it was, you're able to kind of think and, and form an identity up there. So yeah. by the time I got to college, I felt like I was in a, in a really good place. In fact, that college was sort of boring afterwards. Is, is that how you felt a little bit, that it was... Well, I knew I needed to get out of Connecticut, so I went to Duke University. Right. I studied political science and French there, and I knew I had to get out of Connecticut because, um, well, I wasn't going to go back to Philadelphia because that my aforementioned mother, who, mm. again, is it's large <laughs> in my life, you guys. Um, yes. Please, out there, anyone who understands me, yes. just you know, tweet me. Yeah. On that, um, yeah. I was not going to go to Penn because I was not going to have her show up at my doorstep every single day. But as, um, as she would, a hundred percent. So I needed to get somewhere where there was a plane ride away. And and Duke, again, funnily enough, it, my my life has been punctuated by these great architectural moments. Had this Gothic campus. It actually mm. has two campuses: an East Campus that is that's actually quite all red Georgian brick, and then it has a Gothic campus that's quite famous with this chapel at the middle of it. And it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. The Duke Gardens were beautiful. Um, the the architecture was incredible everybody had their shirts off in the middle of november it was like 70 degrees i was like this is 
heaven. This is great. <laughs> no, that was um, it was beautiful, and I had, I, I had a great time down there. I, I'll tell you, the, the, the course of being down there, the friends that I made at Duke certainly uh, affected the rest of my life, and it wasn't just the people that I met and where they were from, um, but also I worked on the newspaper there, the Duke Chronicle, mm. and on the literary journal there, and it was, uh, it, it was a full-fledged operation. It still is. It's an independent newspaper with a big budget and a big staff, and it was a daily, and so it really meant something down there, hmm. and uh, and so I, I sort of hold up in 301 Flowers, which is where the Duke Chronicle still is, and uh, in the Flowers Building, and we we produced a daily paper basically from my first my first day at Duke. So that's where the kind of the journalism bug hit me. Okay, and so that wasn't your your field of study at the time, but you... It wasn't. I don't think Duke even offers a journalism program, and also yeah. everyone wanted to be poli-sci because everyone wanted to be a Supreme Court lawyer or whatever. You're kind of, you're, you were aiming, you're going really high, although... And then I'm not a Supreme Court lawyer at the moment. Um, <laughs> movie's not over yet. You never know where things will go these days. Um, but no, I, I think that the, the journalism there, the, the paper was a serious thing. Mm. And I haven't thought about it in a long time. Um, but the people who were super dedicated to it, I actually started at first in the design department. But I, I quickly learned that if I wasn't going to write mm. um, and I didn't hone those skills, that I would never be editor-in-chief. And I was p- positive that in the beginning. They, someone said to me, do you want to be, I think someone said, do you want to be out of Winter, or do you want to be Grace Coddington? Both people who I, I, I admire sure. hugely, but both who have very different skill sets. And I think, of course, I said, like everybody else, you know, I said, like, you know, I want to be Anna. And I think at that point it was about um, writing as opposed to mm. doing the design team. It was either creative direction or it was being an editor in chief. And I, I think that's where I wanted my, my sights to. To, to land. In fact, I think that was often repeated. It may have been even Stephen Drucker who had said that to me at one point as well at House Beautiful, sort of pick which 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 path you want to go on at this point. And that was maybe before I went to, to TNC um, with him and when I was still at House Beautiful. And Newell, would be, a lot of people repeated that to me throughout the life because I sort of had A lot of skills. people sort of gave you that guidance too. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I'm one of the original generalists. I've always said that. You know, mm. and I think it, when I was going to school, when I was in high school, I remember my French teacher saying to me, you better pick your path because you like a lot of different things, you know? And you're going to have to pick your path because this is a world that's all about specialism, mm. and a special, specialization and being a specialist. And I remember thinking, well, that's not at all who I am. I am sort of this generalist. I am kind of a renaissance guy. I love a lot of different things, which I think you'll see in, in this magazine as well. Absolutely. We cover a breadth of a huge amount of topics in El Decor. We borrow from L to be able to kind of bring that into the design sphere. At least that's what we say on paper. Mm. But the truth is that I, I think that design lies in a lot in everywhere, in a lot of different places, from the way the, plate, the food is plated to the hem on a, a dress to, you know, again, the, the, the way you cough or a ceiling like you have in, in the front of you in that October issue. The way Indeed. You do that. Yeah. So I think at that point I thought, well, no, I, I really want to be a, a, a generalist. It's just who I am. It turns out that in the world we live in today, a multi-hyphenate, if you're not a multi-hyphenate, you've got problems. You better know how to like work on the on Patty, exactly. which is our our Hearst digital system. You better know how to lay out a story. You better know how to you know take a picture. You better know how to do everything, um, because if you don't, you're kind of left behind. So I think that for whatever reason, I've been lucky in my career. Was as the world has shifted, um, I think you know it's been good to 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 
to mirror my skill set, my particular mm. skill set. And you know, and being a magazine editor is is the best job in the world. I have the most fun every single day. Well, and you seem to exude that. It's I mean, true. What you that see is what you get. Hard probably, for me to believe. Yeah, scarier in person. I think. <laughs> I think that's what people when they fi- when they finally meet me. Um, it is. It is the. It is literally the best job. We get to meet every single. It is an excuse to meet the most engaging, creative, wonderful, dynamic people in the entire world on a daily basis. I mean, it's nonstop. It's exhausting. Yeah, people course. are like, "Are you tired?" No, I'm not tired. I'm exhausted <laughs> beyond. Today tired. we also have a new puppy who decided beyond. he's going to get up at five thirty this morning and take me to Belvedere Castle. But I. Um, uh, you know, we're tired, but it's the most, it's the greatest kind of exhaustion because we yeah. get to talk to people, like-minded individuals all day who are doing incredible, amazing, creative things. Yeah. The magazine world is the most seductive in the entire world. It's very you know, it, it's the most compelling and it still is the most compelling. And I think we're actually hitting a turnaround point here too, where I, I believe in the power of print. I believe in this thing as a brand. I'm the first person to say that. We are on the channel these days. You have to be. Right. Um, but also where you want to be. I love Instagram. I'm one of the most vibrant and prolific users of Instagram, I think, of any editor-in-chief, probably besides Delene and Nina at the company. Um, and I love the medium so much. I think our website's great, and we're tr- figuring out how to become more of an influential site if we can't necessarily, within our our demos in the design industry, hit 100 billion hits because mm. we're not as that, that kind of mass website. Right. So how do we kind of become influential? But at the same time, I really believe in the turnaround and the power of print, too. It starts with that product. It starts with something that really feels beautiful in your hands and has pride of place on the coffee table and your bookshelf. And, and I think, listen, we get more people asking us to be in print than I have ever had at one, any point in my career before. More people who want to be published in print. That's right. Yes. And online, too. But I, in sure. The, somewhere in, 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 in the ecosystem of our brand. But, but absolutely, I think that they see the print product as something real and authentic and, and a goal. Well, and, and so many designers tell me that that's the real validation for them. Sure. Right? Getting that published in print, being in El Decor, and that for them it, it makes them feel like it, like it's all been worthwhile or, or, or they've, they've really arrived yeah. at some level. And For sure. I mean, listen, I think the naysayers will tell you, what about the 19-year-old? What about my niece? Or what about my, my daughter that doesn't read a magazine anymore? And I say, listen, my goal has never really been to appeal to a 19-year-old. I want to be totally honest about that. My, my goal... <laughs> Nothing wrong with being 19. No, and we were all 19. We were all point. 19 at yes. some point. I don't think I was ever 19. I always said, <laughs> I think I told, borrowed this from Michael Lorber. I think I'm like, like, like mm. act like I'm 60, but I am 35, but like I really want to be. <laughs> I don't know. I have to figure that. I have to figure that analogy out. Um, I, it's not that I don't want to appeal to a 19 year old. It's just that I don't think you understand what it is to decorate and design a house until you have the financial capability to do it. And you've bought a house, like until you sign that mortgage paper, until you sign like what it is to renovate a kitchen or a bathroom, and you get that sticker shock for the first time. It's serious. It's it's a serious investment, and it should be taken seriously. It isn't about quick mm. fixes and tips and tricks all the time. That is not to say that this magazine and the elder core that we're running isn't accessible and shouldn't be accessible in terms of its tone and its aspiration. But we also have to dream. You know, we've got to figure out what the dream is and what, what we want to aspire to. We can't all have everything, you know, when we're 19. Yeah. So what do I want to have in the future? What do I want to save up for? What do I want to look up to? What means something? It's about a value proposition, which I talk about a lot, which I think you heard me talk about at the DFA. Well, and, and interestingly, when that conversation at the DFA started, and you've, you've mentioned that you might not remember all of the details of what you, of what you said, so let me refresh I'm your memory. I'm out right now. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Am I okay, Carrie? Are we good? It's okay. Yeah. 
Well, you know, hilariously, Troy sort of turns to you and says, okay, Whitney, uh, and you say, you, you start off by saying, you know what I'm finding sexy right now? Yeah. And Troy's like, oh boy, okay, here we go. Where's this conversation going? And, and, you, and you said, I'm finding sexy like a 35-year-old, right, who's got the money to spend yeah. on this project, mm-hmm. right, who can afford to, to really do this project Right. Yeah. I mean, so all the designers listening, what what would be worse than someone coming and saying, oh, I love your work. It's so amazing. You know, let's meet. And then meeting them and saying like, oh, no, no, I'm renting my apartment and I can't afford you. I just think you do great <laughs> stuff. Right. You'd be like, okay, bye. You know, yeah. and I think what we have in, in the design industry is something of an image problem. And I want to be clear about this. The image problem we have is that no one has an issue saying to their plumber, to their therapist, to their... Uh, doctor, to any profession, right, in quotes, right, any capital P Mm -hmm. profession, uh, their art advisor, for instance, you know, why their work is of value, why why what they do costs what it does or has a price tag on it. We have a problem in the design industry with that because people don't understand why things cost the way they do and there's a suspicion problem. That's what I was saying before too. exactly. You know, what, what I'm most concerned about isn't about you know, should the 19-year-old read the print magazine? That's not really my, what my huge concern is. My concern is that the 19-year-old thinks, well, I, I, I can get a VIP driver, right? Mm. Something Selena talked about too. I can get a VIP driver, its name is Uber. I can get a VIP chef, its name is Postmates. And I know exactly how much things cost at every single level. So for Uber, you know, they just introduced a helicopter from JFK. So you can take an Uber X and it costs $50. You can take an yeah. Uber Black and it costs $130. You can take a copter, it costs 250 But it's out there and it's transparent. Here's how much things cost. You choose what level you're on. You don't hear people say like Uber snobby because, you know, they have a helicopter available. They're like, well, that's kind of cool, right? <laughs> because they, they they sort of, they stand up for themselves. They, mm-hmm. they know their value. And I think that what happens sometimes in the design industry is that because maybe it's so spread out and it's kind of almost can feel like everyone for themselves in a lot Mm. of ways there's no guild necessarily we don't have a CFDA there are very few conglomerates right I I completely agree and I don't know why that is I don't either and and we need a CFDA for for the I really believe that and listen I think DLN if only you knew someone at the CFDA I know God wait a second I know wait let me call Mark and Tom hold on one second and Hmm. Diane Um, you know I think what's important about this and I was saying this to a young designer who was in my office the other day Meg Sharp who's a good friend and on our a list, and I said to Meg, you know, one of the thing, one of the things she had said to me was, and I hope I'm not breaking her confidence here, was that she felt really burned out because I think the day to day of decorating and designing, right, the clients emailing 24 hours a day, not just what should I put on my wallpaper, or I found this piece of furniture, but also like, do, should I wear this to the gala tonight, yeah. and you know, where should my kid go to school? Mm-hmm. Which I think you know, decorators and designers are the most well traveled, most wonderful, most you know, most knowledgeable people that I know because they and they know. How to live well, which is why everybody wants their advice. You know, she said, I, but I'm burned out by the, the billing and the, because I think what, what and, and all the sort of the, the t- tedious administrative stuff that comes on with it. And I had said this to another, uh, an owner of a, of, a, of a shop, Future Perfect, a couple of months ago, <laughs> David. Yeah. I said to Dave, you know, maybe one of the things is, and what I'm learning, because things kind of come in threes, is that it's okay if you're not a great CEO or CFO, 
right? Maybe what you are is the creative director of the of this company. And what we don't have enough in our business is the kind of the back end that help that, that I think designers need to do the billing, to keep people in check. I mean, it's almost like you think about an agency model. And SD Stanley, when one of our A-list members had, start, had started an agency called The Eye. Mm. And, you know, and in, in one of the ideas was how to take, how to borrow a page from Hollywood where you have an agent and an actor and the agent manages all the back end stuff. Right, and right. they're like, "Listen, here's how much they're going to negotiate for the project. Here's how many times. Here's how long she's going to be on set for. He's going to be on set for. You know, all the things an agent does for an actor. We don't have anyone in the business really helping our Hollywood, our interior designers who are our Hollywood A list. That's what I always say. Yeah. Helping them with the, this aspect of the business. So that's that's a problem because what it's been leading to is." No one knows how anyone should bill. No one knows how much things cost. Everything's sort of available on the internet, but not really. There's this opaqueness to the whole thing, and it makes this younger generation, who will eventually be the customer, be like, well, that's just, that's stupid or old-fashioned or, you know. And this is the same thing the gallery you know, industry has, mm -hmm. has, has struggled with and yeah. gone through. Um, but I actually think one of the industries that that the that we can take a, pay, a, play, a page from, their playbook, is not just Hollywood, but also the automotive industry. You think about companies like Bentley. You think about companies like Rolls-Royce. Because I consider our fabric companies, our fabric houses, everything, the D&D, &D, everything at 200 Lex, as our, as 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 beautiful and as well-crafted and hand-crafted as what Bentley and Rolls-Royce do, but they've managed to turn themselves into 21st century companies that seem quite modern. Now, part of that is because VW owns one, BMW owns the other, so they've been able to have that economies of scale from sure. a um, from, from bigger conglomerates. But at the same time, like they seem, these are multi-hundred-year-old companies that seem well-poised to tackle the 21st century globally, mm. and yet I feel that sometimes in our industry, um, there is an obsolescence that lingers because we haven't been able to, I don't know, educate the consumer in an appropriate way and, and, and avoid some of that suspicion and that, and that, that transparency problems. Well, and as you, as you said earlier, there, there isn't an organization that is educating and preparing people to, to live with design in, in the way that the designers that are published on the pages of El Decor want their clients to be able to live and want to bring the artisan-made resources to them. There, there isn't an organization that is supporting all of that. No, it goes right? beyond. There isn't. And it's, it's really, you know, funny enough, I thought about it for a long time. Is this El Decor's job? Is this AD's mm. job? It's not really our job because we are, we're too in it. And I think for us, you know, we can anoint, you know, our people. But I think that the things that are actually needed, the more guildy stuff, mm. are more business, are more operations mm. driven. So I don't think it's necessarily our place. And I, But I also don't think it's about going on a trip. And again, this is not denigrate any of the great organizations that are out there um, that are doing great things, DFA, DLN. But I don't think it's about getting a private tour of Bunham Palace after hours. Right. I think this is really about sitting down with people and saying like, and I don't know if this, they're getting this in the schools as well. This is something Peter Marino and I have talked about a lot. I don't know if they're getting that education in the schools that they need to be getting as well um, or in interior design programs about really how to be a business person or how to hire someone to be your business person. Yeah. No, I, I, I do think that's very important. And I've, I've had a conversation recently, uh, Cheryl Durst, who heads up the IIDA, sure. talked about bringing more of a business curriculum into the design curriculum and and maybe there are also some psychology aspects that you might want to bring because as you say clients seem more uh challenging that perhaps than ever before For sure. right on, well they on, know on more than levels. ever before and so but but do they really i mean mm. what do they really know and i think that's the question and i think i always said from the very beginning i wrote an editor's letter once that said just say no to your client and i think that's really <laughs> tough because you obviously yeah. don't want to say no to someone who's paying you and 
there are often benefactor relationships and long-term relationships, and you obviously don't want to ruin those. Um, but I think that sometimes um, it's what it's not. You know, it's it's the most successful people in life. I think this is a Warren Buffett quote: "Are the ones who you know say no the most." Yes. You know, and yes. it's really about honing. And I think the most successful designers we see in the business are the ones who really have really not a hundred clients. You know, I mean, it, it varies. You know, yeah. but are really the ones who have like three great clients who keep coming back and have done fifteen homes with them. That's the kind of stories we often tell in in this magazine that are that whose houses are often the most um, the most liked. We're taking a quick break to give you the insider scoop on the Cherish Trade Program. Join the Cherish Trade Program today and you'll receive new hotshot perks. Earn $75 cash for every $5,000 you spend on the site and access to a trade-only customer service hotline and snappy new project management tools to make your life even easier. And let's not forget the Trade Program's ongoing key benefits, including net pricing up to 30% off and 48-hour hold capabilities. To get in on the fun today, visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. You'll find Krypton's fabric intelligence in over 80 high point market showrooms. Krypton's exclusive fall market treats, events, and experiences include a high point first, designing spaces for hosting with Airbnb. And don't miss the roving Krypton ice cream cart, SoCal Social at Norwalk, and designer favorites the Krypton Patio, Universal Beauty Lounge, and Pooch Pop-Ups. Reserve your place now at krypton.com slash hpmkt. And now, back to the show. So let's get back to the magazine. Yeah. You, you've, you've told us you're, you're, you're not writing El Decor for the 19-year-old. So, so tell me who is in your mind when you're, when you're thinking about putting together a, an issue. Today. I think so there's three kind of there's three different people that I think we're writing this for. I think first and foremost, though, I'm writing this for the interior design community. Mm-hmm. I always say the people that I really want to read this magazine are 141 now. That's our list. I think our A list is 141 designers this year, give or take. 142, we'll figure it out. Okay. It's a nice PR's robust checking list. PR's yeah. checking on that for us. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> yeah. um, that's who I care about. I, I, first and foremost, I care about people in our endemic business um, loving this magazine. And, and it's often when I say that upstairs, I say that, you know, it, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek because they say, yeah. well, how many readers do you have? And I say 140. <laughs> And they're like, oh my God. They're like, what are you going to do? What are we going to do with this guy? I, I really mean that though, because mm. I believe that that is that the trickle down, the cerulean blue from the 141 mm. um, designers is everything. It's the whole business. It's, 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 every, it's all the people that I would like to, it's all of our peers. Um, it's the tastemakers. And it, I, I really believe that those are the people consciously or unconsciously who any design that is made in America or globally, our list is global, um, result from the creative genius that is these the, these designers, mm. hands down. I mean, I think that anything that they do, consciously or subconsciously, you will see writ large uh, in residential, commercial, industrial capacities. Yeah. So this is a celebration of them and, and the incredible work that they do, and, for sure, and the talent that they for sure. That this they is the, I want this to be their book. Okay, and uh, then what? So that's that. You're, you're first. You're going for the 140, and then and then what are you what are you thinking of? I, you know, I think that the the consumer that I'm thinking of, because it's we always try to be, you want to be as specific with the consumer as you can. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that 
you know, affluent and stylish tastemakers for me, obviously. So that's the clients after that. So it's the, the 141 people who I, I believe are the A-list designers who mm-hmm. are reading this magazine. It's their clients. So these are, these are well, this is a well-traveled woman. I just came from a, a Christie's lunch. We celebrated Peter Marino's incredible Theodore Deck pottery, a ceramic French porcelain collection. Yes, his deck pottery. His deck pottery uh, is unbelievable yeah. in, in a beautiful spread in this magazine mm-hmm. that was exclusive to us. And so I just came from a luncheon at Christie's with Peter. And and a lot of those women, Cornelia Guest, Bettina Zilka, people who um, are Peter's clients, Peter's friends, that that sort of ilk, uh, I think are also our, our readers. So these are, um, in, in many cases, affluent um, homeowners. Mm-hmm. I think that they are coastal. I think we've got a big readership in Los Angeles. We've got a big readership in New York, in Chicago, in Dallas, um, in Aspen, and Palm Beach. Sort of your typical places um, that you'd expect this reader to be, because I think they're more. They're, they're, it's also an urban reader mm-hmm. and, 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 a, and, a, and a very fashionable reader. But you know, if I can pick, it's it's so hard for me because I, I think that, again that the 141 for me are are my. People, so yeah. it's people like Ellie Coleman. It's people right. like Sasha Bickoff. Like right. if I'm looking at these people, yeah. whether or not they're in the design uh, business or they're their clients, and that's are, who I see as, as our reader. So you're celebrating them. Are, are are you also hoping to inspire them? Are you hoping to sort of share with them some of the things that that you think are so exciting that are going on, or that or that or things that they should be aware of or interested or engaged in? How do you how do you come at that? Yeah, I mean, part of what we are is a mirror. Design is a mirror. Design is a mirror as a reflection of our times. I really mean that. I think you can look at the design in this magazine. I hope it reflects what is happening in the world around us. That there is some kind of more touch to, the, to, to not just to general interest, but to actually like, you know, w- what is happening you know, politically, economically, globally, cool places that we should be paying attention to um, that is a reflection in how things are designed. I mean, even, you know, Martin's cover story, which is, it looks like, you know, it's in LA, but it could be in uh, Moroccan Riyadh. Exactly. You kind of can't place it. I think yeah. that's where we are in design right now, this sort of global eclecticism. Mm-hmm. And I think he captures it brilliantly in his own house. We tend to sp- spend a lot of time actually fundamentally focusing on designers' own spaces in this magazine too. Um, because I think that that is really where they can let their freak flags, freak flags fly. Yeah. You know, where there's, they're, they're unbounded, they're unconstrained from more commercial um, or client-driven constraints. And I think that that's where we, we tend to do a, a disproportionate, I think, amount of, of designers' own spaces. When the designer comes to me and says, I've got my house for you, I, there are very few instances where we say no to that. So, and how are designers coming to you? How are you, how are projects getting to you these days? Every which way you can possibly imagine. Okay. They're being DM'd. And I will say, we, we again, we say no more than we say yes. I would assume. It's really about a balance for me. Okay. So what people don't realize is both in the book and online, it's about how we balance the pages together so that it reads like something um, that's going to entertain you. So a magazine's got to be more than just uh uh, just a design bible. This isn't a portfolio. Um, so, uh, you know, how do how do they come to us? They come um, every which way you could possibly <laughs> imagine, and we take them every which way you could possibly imagine. And we even take things that aren't necessarily the newest projects. What I said in in, the, in our September cover, which was Aaron Lauder, that house has been sitting like that for a couple of years. Yeah. But we decided to, but no one's ever seen it before. So it's also about tapping into existing design that we think is amazing that should have a line. Uh, light shined on it, but that necess- not necessarily people have seen. So if a designer is listening to this program and wants to get their project published in El Decor, what's the best advice we can give them? Is, um, it, is it write a letter? <laughs> is it send uh, send it to Hearst Tower? Is it 
Um, do you have handlers who, cash. Can, who can take? Yeah, it's money, cash. Money up front. Yeah. Is, it it's a suitcase of cash. You. Let's be really honest yeah. about it. It's a briefcase yeah. filled with hundred dollars. Are, are there designer gifts that you, that you like to receive? Yeah, it's a Swain Adney Brig okay. suitcase from David Netto, full of cash. Uh, excellent. Yeah, okay. I like the okay. Bond model. It's black leather with red inside. It's been made that way since um, since Sean Connery was the Bond. So I'll take that right now. Good. No, you, Good. what it is is its point of view. It's 100%. It's point of view, and it's unique spaces um, that you can't see anywhere else. We're really going through a maximalist period right now in design, and I think the biggest reason is Instagram, actually. I think it's because everyone's taking photos of their spaces, and unfortunately, I think if you're living in a John Paulson house right now, it just doesn't photograph quite beautifully. It right. photographs like a white box. I think the sort of that Calvin Klein minimalist aesthetic doesn't work in the age where everyone's got a camera phone. And so that's why I think we're seeing this maximalist design everywhere, and you're seeing it reflected in our pages. It's just, it's I see candy. it in your pages. Yeah. I wish I I saw it reflected in what was really selling at fabric houses at, well, don't and, you and around see that, the country. I you mean, don't see that at I, fabric houses? I, I sat in well, a fabric presentation yesterday, yeah. and they kept showing me the, the pale, the, the yeah, grayish yeah. fabrics yeah, yeah. that were still their top sellers. Well, I don't know. And Listen. I love that you're pushing it, and oh. I love that you're in, in your current edit we've letter, got, you're talking got. about brown furniture coming back, and I think that's another positive Yes, Not right. Rachel Barrett also wrote that in Country Living this month. Yes. We have we have a, a, a someone who's frowning over there who doesn't also believe in the corner in this corner. <laughs> Wait, yeah. we have uh, we have she doesn't she doesn't believe she it. She doesn't believes believe in maximalism it. over there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, a little bit. A little well, bit. <laughs> okay. So let's take a look at let's take a look at. And I think this is also. I think this is interestingly. I, yes. It's not even a generational thing. I just think that you're seeing. I think you're seeing it from everybody because I think you could look at Charlotte Moss's room. You could look at Young Ha's room at the, at the Kip's Bay Showhouse, and Absolutely. each were maximalist in their yeah. own way. Charlotte's in her inimitable. Like, please give me everything that you've ever bought on uh, a vacation because yeah. <laughs> and you stuffed onto the plane because like you're the most fabulous and everything yes. is amazing. Yes. Young because look, I can take a a really crappy attic space that, that has a weird kind of architecture here and I can turn it into what was the show place I think everyone agreed of mm. this year's Kips Bay to be sure um, using incredibly graphic wallpaper using that kind of maximalist identity that we're, we're talking about here um, so I think that I, but I hear what you're saying you're saying in most of the showrooms across the country people are still buying beige fabrics what I can say is, you know what? I think that's where this generational shift comes in from. I think people are getting a little more emboldened to do crazy things. Yeah. I think that they're getting, I think that they're getting sick of beige. I really do. I think you're definitely seeing this in fashion, and often you see it a little bit in fashion before you kind of see it trickle down into home. Mm -hmm. But listen, you also need your basics. I mean, it's also about having a beautiful. Whether your your neutral is a is you know an actual beige or whether it's like an emerald green or a navy or whatever it is, you still it's still good to have the base. I mean, I think about like someone like Bernie de la Quona, who's a, a very close friend and an incredible fabric uh, textile uh, designer. She does incredible, incredibly things. Work. But yeah. Bernie's neutral, but yes. sort of. Yes. I mean, Bernie makes that kind of thing where it's like she makes that white cashmere. And like it's like a Laura Piana, but even higher end. And you just... I don't know what you do with it. I guess you, if you have like a 747, you can like <laughs> swaddle in it and then you just, you know, you go barefoot in your 747 and it never yeah. gets dirty or something like that. <laughs> but she has the most beautiful uh, uh, palette, but it's actually quite neutral. But right. it's still, it packs a punch. I mean, pink is also a neutral. Think about a, a place like Sketch, right? India Madhavi's restaurant mm -hmm. in London. Sketch is the most Instagram restaurant in the entire world, but it, its palette is actually 
it's there's only two colors in the entire thing. So you know, I think that there's a there's an inter, inter, interplay there. Yeah, to, to be sure. So we talked earlier about the sort of ever evolving magazine, mm. and and one of the things that I'm that I'm wondering about is. What do your readers beg you not to change as you as you continue to evolve the magazine? What do they say? Oh, please, we love this so much. Don't change. Like, what what is it? That, that is such a great question. I love that question. Um, you know, purposefully when I came in here, because I've done three legacy heavy magazines in my career at Hearst: House Beautiful, 125 years old; uh, Town and Country, now 174 years old; El Decor. 30, yes, finally Woo. a magazine that I'm older than. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is the this legacy? Age thing weighs here? heavy on you. I don't know. It does. I know. <laughs> Today it does, obviously. I don't know why. I think it's because my it's Scorpio season. My birthday is mm. November 16th, so that's why I'm thinking yeah, about no, it. It's, I'm right there with you. it's no more Freudian than that. Are you Scorpio? November 7th. Hello. No yeah. wonder we're going to get along yeah. famously. Hello. I only hire Scorpio and Pisces, by oh. the way. I know my partner's a Pisces, Carrie's a Pisces. I don't think you're allowed to do that legally for the New York State, so yes, I'm just kidding. I, I believe I'm just laws. kidding, everyone, yeah. mm. except I'm not. Kidding. kidding. Um, yeah. uh, where were we? <laughs> we were talking about the, those great readers. Yeah. And what, right. And so you've, when I you've came done to these this magazine, books. well, because we're only yeah. 30 years old, it's an interesting yeah. point. What, what The whole point of saying that is that this is a magazine that everybody can remember within their lifetimes, that there isn't a real nostalgia play about your mother or your grandmother reading it because it was probably us reading it because it's something that has existed only since 1989. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the funny thing about ED is there are still beloved columns. I love truth and decorating. You'll notice I never wanted to change for change sake. Calling you know your product section, changing the name from what's hot to this is great to let's do it to must-haves or whatever, it's all the same thing to me. It's mm -hmm. great products. Why change what is a great existing franchise? I always love what's hot. It's always comfortable. It's always the first page of this magazine. And so that, to me, was, was something I didn't want to change. Um, we changed our new section to call it POV, and just mm -hmm. so it represented, again, this great El Decor point of view. Truth and decorating didn't change. I think that's a beloved column in the industry. We love the... Yeah. But the idea of two interior designers talking about, you know, what dining tables you need, what sofas you need, that's advice everybody can use at mm -hmm. every level. So we never wanted to change that. One of the things I sort of did was go back to the DNA of the magazine, I would say. There's especially Mary McAvoy's El Decor, and I'm lucky enough yeah. to count Marion as a friend and talk to her, you know, quite often. Um, and I think if there's any heir apparent and any magazine editor in um, in this ish in this uh, particular title, and there's only been five editors, um, that we look back on it, it's Marion's. Um, it's Marion's ED. That's what this looks like the most. It certainly feels like it. Well, and and I and I love that. And she's such a special best. person. And and I love that you haven't been afraid to to sort of bring back some of the people that nope. have played a role. We've in been the lucky enough to Mar Margaret Russell Margaret has produced Russell's beautiful projects, projects for us with Lee Mandel. I yeah. know uh, this is a this is a family El decor, and it should be. And so is the industry, and that and that's really what I want it to be about. There shouldn't really be. Uh, I, I don't really see the competition here. I think that the competition is really actually. For us to to realize how this industry is as robust, as wonderful, as incredible, and how it needs to survive for another hundred years, and the only way to do that is together. Mm. It's not by saying that what was done in the past was bad because it wasn't. This magazine is only a reflection of what came before it. It's not to say we're not looking forward. I mean, one thing I wanted to mention was you know a big tentpole for us this mm. year um, is that I feel like we have done so much great beautiful aesthetic design but I also don't want to be looked at as a magazine in a general consumer way 
um, that feels out of touch, out of date, or too fancy for someone to approach. So our mm. tone is funny because mm. I'm funny and the editors are funny and Charlie Kirkins are funny on staff and we do a lot of great we do a lot of great headlines and we make sure that when you come into this magazine, you read it, you're going to laugh a little right. bit, you're going to get totally entertained. So that that's okay. But I also don't want people to feel like if they don't have a million dollars to do a gold leaf kitchen in the House of El Decor like Neil Beckstead f- did for us this month, yeah. that you're um, that somehow like you know it's not for you. And so I think one of the big ways we're doing that is in, in November in the issue and then online, um, we're going to be revealing a new package called Universal Design, hmm. which is really about um, design for all. It's designed regardless of disability, gender, um, association, identity, um, age, uh, demographic. And so I think that's something where really El Decor has the as, as a, a uh, the the right and it, it, there's a, a need for this in the industry for us to go out there and um, I talk about why design is important for everybody. But what we also need out there, Dennis, and as we when we finish this interview, we start up the CFDA of design. Exactly when DFDA. we launch that together. Yeah, love the DFDA um, <laughs> or whatever the CDDA. Um, when we launch that, I think what's important about is that we also have studies out there that say, listen, design can make you feel better. Design, when you paint your room a certain color, when you're in a design space, there's that wow factor when someone puts their camera up or goes, wow, or I'd love to live like this. We haven't done enough quantifying of that, mm. and I'm trying to figure out scientifically, partnering up with Harvard GSD, Graduate School of Design, partnering up with um, some other local uh, design firms to figure out how we can actually create studies that say this is why design makes you feel, act, live, look better. Because I don't think we do, we do ourselves a disservice because every other industry says that and, and, and points now to data, which is we mm. in the world of data. And so I think that's how El Decor can approach that. So again, it's not just window dressing, that this isn't just about beautiful, incredible global spaces, which it will always be about, but it's also about why this makes a difference and why these people, they see our interior designers, they do without thinking about at all, right? Yeah. If, yeah. They, they, they're problem solvers. But there's a way to quantify that and to put data behind that and research behind that, and I'd like just to be the ones to do it. So stay tuned for that. Okay, well, that's very exciting because I think design can have such an incredibly positive impact on people's lives, and I think we do need to do a better job as an industry of, of, of selling that, and, yeah. and, and, and data will certainly help. We, we mentioned Neil Beckset and this incredible 108. I mean, the man is so incredibly beyond talented. Just beyond. And nice and good looking. That's the thing, He's horrible. too. It's, I don't it's like almost Neil. annoying, right? Bye, Neil. He's just like nice and friendly. I don't want him to do it honestly, anymore. That's he's got it. this kind of aw shucks kind of attitude. It's really annoying, right? actually. You know yeah. what? I'm not going to text yeah. him anymore. No, no, no. Done, done with him. <laughs> but, um, but again, pretty nice project at 108 Leonard. T- t- tell listeners a little bit who, who aren't going to get the privilege to come and see sort of the Elder Core. 30-year celebration space. T- t- tell us the, the idea behind that and how that all sort of came together because, I mean, it was pretty spectacular. Yeah. So, you know, what's funny is we decided – so show houses are nothing new, obviously, um, but this one's a little bit different. So, you know, on the occasion of our 30th anniversary, we decided to proudly unveil one of our own houses. We were able to kind of go through a short list with the, de- with the developer – and pinpoint who we thought could really bring a lot of attention um, to this project uh, and who needed to kind of, you know, be known in the industry, maybe someone who was a bit of an underdog. And and we came to Neil 
um, and the developers fell in love with him. What I what I love about this project is it's not a typical Schwass in the sense that it stays open uh, longer than normal ones do. So this mm. one's seven months. It's not like two days and then, but it's not it's not accessible to the public unless you. Um, are in the market for a $13 million apartment at 108 Leonard, or you lie right. about your credit credentials to the Allot Developing Group and yeah. somehow get yourself inside of there. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I liked about it was one of the other places that I think Aldecor can have a true impact, and we are trying to have an impact in this this year, there'll be some other incredible, um, there's one hotel that I can't talk about quite yet, but an incredible um, uh, the pop-up that we're doing uh, with them uh, for this winter. Um, what design can do, it can also elevate the, the price of your property. Mm. It can elevate the premium that you charge. And this is something where developers don't really understand what designers do, and designers don't really understand how to get in bed with the developers. And again, where we really can act as the middleman here is saying that, especially in a place like New York City, where there are a lot of apartments above $10 million, in fact, too many right now that are kind of sitting on the market. Yeah, absolutely. And they're all white boxes, and they all face Central Park in some way, or they have, in one of its other case, they've got a great view of downtown and the Jenga building or whatever it is. Um, they all kind of look the same. And if you really put yourself in the, in, the, in, the, in the eyes and the shoes of a consumer at that level of wealth, who doesn't mm. have a huge amount of time mm. and wants an apartment in New York and you know, wants to make the right decision and wants it to increase in value, all of that stuff, then you realize that there's like a hundred apartments that all look exactly the same. How do you distinguish the apartments? Duh, through design. Who do you call? You call the designers on the A-list. Like it's really not rocket science. And I guarantee you, by the way, that even if you only, if you spend half a million dollars furnishing it, you're going to get a 2X or 3X return on your money. See, again, every other industry talks like this. And for some reason, we're afraid to talk like this in the design industry. It's like buying a Chanel handbag or it's like buying a Louis Vuitton scarf. Like it will, there is a, there is recent value on it that's important we just haven't been able to sort of quantify that and we don't always stick up to that because it almost feels it feels gauche i mean i'm sure a lot of people are going like oh god it's all a money conversation but you know what i'm just being realistic about the capitalistic society we live in and why i think again every apartment that is out there every model apartment white bottle apartment should be a house of El decor and should be designed by one of our A-list decorators. And, and we're looking to do this, by the way. You're, you're looking to turn this into a business. I mean, I, yeah. it's a natural one. It already is a business yeah. again. And show houses no, have been no. something that Hearst has done for a very long time. If you guys remember Designer Visions, that's something we Absolutely. used to do with TNC and Veranda yeah. for a really long time. It's something I worked on with Celery Kemble on, on a 10 West End Avenue 10 years ago. So we've done this in the building before. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think really doubling down on it and pinpointing locations, not just in New York, but but throughout the United States and globally is something where I think really we can, again, help partner together this great A-list talent and these developers who are totally clueless. I mean, you know, sorry, developers, who are totally <laughs> clueless about, about design and the power of design. Uh, I love that you're so excited about print. Obviously, we're sitting on the 27th floor of, of Hearst Tower, so yeah. it's a good place to be excited about print. We're coming to the, the end of this decade, and... As you as you think about the next decade, what what is this magazine going to become, and what what role is it going to to play in the in the lives and careers of the designers that you're speaking to as you as you write it? Well, I listen. I think a lot about value propositions. I always say that. I think about it in terms of the why someone wants to buy this magazine, why it's worth the six dollars or the subscription price, and kind of picking it up. And and again, I always often say that I'm not in the design business. Like when my high school teacher. 
uh, my journalism teacher from Salisbury, Roseanne Needhammer, Roseanne Scamardella, reaches out to me and says, what should I paint my kitchen on Facebook? I'm like, hell if I know. Stop asking me that question. <laughs> oh, this but happens I love all that the she time. reaches out It's to very you. sweet. No, I'm Roseanne, I love sweet. you. You know, Roseanne. we're going to see each other. Um, uh, soon. Uh, you know, what, what? I have no idea. I'm not a designer. You know, I have a very special relationship with David Kaihai, who's uh, my, partner with Miles Red. Mm-hmm. And David did my apartment. He did my office. And he's yeah. sort of my, you know, everyone's got their guy. Right. Um, it's not mean, it doesn't mean I can never change. You know, Ken's <laughs> my guy. A lot of people are my guys. You're all my guys. But, um, but uh, you know, do we have a very special relationship? But I think that it's important for me to realize, for people to realize also that this is... Um, it, it, it's a book that also educates. It move forward into the next decade that we realize that design rightfully is expensive and should stay that way. Mm. That the idea of bespoke, handcrafted, um, beautiful, unique products is actually the most important thing um, we could ever be right now. Um, but it's important that magazines like, and where magazines like ours can really help is in educating the consumer about the kind of infinite number of decisions that are out there and making them, uh, helping them make an intelligent informed decision on how they're decorating their homes. Mm. So I think that's where really can help here is this is a book about information and education. Um, It's also a dream book that lets you, you know, kind of get away from the day to day and, you know, about yeah, the future. right, and 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 escape and and be inspired. So many designers tell me they need to be inspired. Totally, right. As you were saying earlier, the business is a bit of a grind these days for a lot of them, right? And they they need to be, which up- is so uplifted. funny to me. This is the same conversation. I know we're getting to the end of this, but this is the same conversation about like New York New York's real retail landscape. You know, we have a new new piece in the in the November issue that's about uh, New York's retail renaissance, we're calling mm. it. And this is everything from the Apple Store on Fifth Avenue to Carolina, Her- Carolina Herrera's redo at the hands of Wes Gordon and Chiara Reggi and, and uh, Luca Guadagnino, the director of Call Me By Your Name, is getting involved in this new store called Redemption in Soho. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is if you go to any other city in the world, from London to Shanghai, no one's like retail's dead on Bond Street. It's beautiful. It's booming. Mm. We have a problem in New York, and I think that what happens is it becomes a global kind of meme that you know something's wrong with retail spaces because we're not investing in them here, and also mm. the rents are too high. I mean, this is everyone from Anna Sui to Devira has had to move stores within the last six months because their rents have tripled. So we have a big kind of developer real estate issue that I think people can really, and our business can really understand here. Um, but I, I just don't want anyone to say and I want this the magazine that carries the flag that design is alive and well it's an important business mm. um, it's worth paying for and these designers are experts in their fields and they're worth hiring whether that's a guild whether that's you know a magazine that has twice as many pages I hope they're listening on the 44th floor because I'd like to have more pages next year <laughs> in my budget um, starting in March whether it's treat and, and again it's it's treating ourselves you know right so you're looking at a subscriber copy in our newsstand copies this month we have a beautiful paper stock and we're looking mm. to up our paper and make sure that this is a book that that yes. again is reflective of the of the of the of the beautiful things that are inside of it. Well, and 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 I actually think that's very important. So in fact, I'm holding my very own subscriber yep. copy, right? Because I I'm I'm a reader. Thank you. Uh but but it, there is a big difference between what the subscribers get and and the glossier pages that can be had. The inside is actually elsewhere. the same. It's the cover it's the that's cover different stock. right now. But it's, you know the fact of the matter is, listen, I'm all for it. I think that this is a luxury product. So I've said out there and I don't want to, you know, I, I don't I don't want to get quoted and get my hands cut off, but I've said this a lot that I think this magazine could cost twice as much money and and have twice as good paper stock and and quality and 
and be really appreciated in our business. It's an experiment I'd like to try. We are, I mean, the good news is that this is not like so far afield. We've tried this for October and it succeeded. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm really happy to say that on newsstand, our year-over-year uh, year is 30% up year-over-year. Year. Wow. Was that because of um, the paper stock? Was it because of the beautiful gold ink? Was it because <laughs> Martin's the greatest designer in the world and everybody loved the colors? It remains to be seen. But the idea is when you invest in this, and that's yes. what's so great about working at this company, when we decide we're going to have that experiment, this came right from Kate Lewis and from Troy, let's put better paper in it. For October, we succeeded. I'd like to think it was the paper stock. Yes, <laughs> I'd like to think it was the paper stock, but but and and I'm always excited to hear about a big spike in newsstand sales because that's too. that's a very positive yeah. indicator. And where we sell these things and how we sell these things, these are questions we're asking every yeah. every single day. I'm sure. I know we have to let you go, so I could talk to you all day. Dennis. Well, I know, and I feel the same way. But I feel other people need to get you out of the room, so to let you go and I didn't even get to talk to you about the dog and I didn't get to talk They'll to you about They'll just have to subscribe to at who what wit. Well, yeah, and Friday nights and great neck Stay we didn't tuned. Even get. Stay I tuned. Mean, we're going to be do we're going to make that live. You'll have one of the first invites. We're going to do a okay. live version of my my mother-in-law's dinner for everybody interested out there. All right. Well, there are a lot of people interested myself included. So we look forward to that. Uh, my guest has been Whitney Robinson, the editor in chief of El Decor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you again for listening. If you're enjoying these conversations, I hope you'll consider sharing the podcast with a friend or heading over to the iTunes store to leave us a review. It helps others to discover the show. We love your feedback. Please give us your thoughts at podcast at businessofhome.com. Our show was produced by Fred Nicolaus and Lauren Pirelli. And I'm Dennis Scully. We'll see you next week. <laughs>